Hey everyone, this is Peter Keys, and you're listening to Daniel Bloom's show, Rock Me Right. That's what's up, y'all. Hey guys, it's Danielle Bloom, and welcome to my show, Rock Me Right. I mentioned earlier in the week that there is power in never giving up. And I asked you to think about a time in your own life when you could have given up, but you didn't. My next guest, Peter Keys, piano player for Leonard Skinnerd reflects back to a time in his own life where he felt like giving up, but he didn't. Stay tuned. It's coming right up. Hey, hey, everybody. Today, my tremendous guest is Peter Keyes, piano keyboard player for Leonard Skinner. Peter, what's up? How are you? Hi, Danielle. What's up, everybody? I'm doing great. How are y'all? Doing so awesome, and everyone is so excited to get to know you better and hear your story. So we are stoked that you are here. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're Uh, super busy, so. No worries. No worries. Uh, How does it feel to be back um, on the road and on stage for being held back for so long? It's kind of alien. It's weird. It, it's re- it's great. I love it. Um, it's just uh, a whole new world out there. It's a little mm-hmm. bit different than it was when we, you know, all got shut down. There's definitely a lot of energy. People are really, really excited to experience live music again, and I can definitely feel it from the stage. It's awesome. Oh, that is so great. What do you mean when you say it's different? Uh, just after being, you know, shut down for like 18 months, Right. right. It's like as a, you know, as an artist or as a musician, as a touring musician, we get into a flow, right? And there's like mm-hmm. a balance that kind of has to happen between like being on the road and being at home and being in the studio. And you just kind of got a lot of balls in there. There's a lot of juggling going on. Mm-hmm. And when one of those gets removed, you kind of have to pivot, right? So I'd pivoted yeah. toward, you know, spending a lot more time in the studio recording and writing and producing and, uh, still playing i mean black and white keys is all i see all the time so it's not like <laughs> you know it's not totally alien but getting back to you know just the whole process of the travel and the show and the loud and the people and the stuff and the oh yeah you know, it's just it's it's weird <laughs> during the pandemic i loved you you did these quarantine posts where you would post different songs every day i thought that was amazing and you were very positive and inspiring and i think i, I would read some of the comments people would say and i think they were like oh, i would love for him to be a permanent fixture in my life at this time because you were so inspiring it was amazing and i loved like your your cat attack video that was pretty rad and you would dress up sometimes and it was awesome right Right. Well, you know, I do, I do love performing, you know, so it was, you know, like trying to wrap my head around the fact that we weren't doing gigs. I was like, well, shoot, I got to be playing and I got to be doing something. So I started, you know, the, the quarantine tunes, right? Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. And, you know, one um, that stood out to me was one that you wrote for your mom and sister. Can you talk about that one? Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I lost, let's see, I lost my mom about five years ago to, mm-hmm. you know, um, she had a surgery, like a pretty much routine surgery, and, you know, mm-hmm. she uh, passed, and that was pretty shocking. And then, you know, my sister died of ovarian cancer like oh, two years wow. ago. So, That's you know, I, yeah, I was pretty much just crushed, and 
the way that I process stuff, you know, grief is really intense, you know, and it's something that we have to walk through and experience. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what I do is I just sat down and started playing. I came up with this little ditty, but, uh, you know, it was really just how I was processing it. Um, It's uh, how many tears must I cry? Before I get over you, mm. seems like we never had the chance to say goodbye. No matter how I try, I just can't believe it's true. You know, mm. that's been gone. For, uh, and, you know, yeah. the course is, um, but somehow still carry on, carry on, just like we used to. We carry uh-huh. on, but it just don't seem the same. I carry on with the weight of the world on my shoulders until we can meet again, till we meet again. So there's... Mm-hmm. You know, Powerful. There's, hope, there's hope there, you know, for the afterlife that we actually get to meet all the people that have passed in our lives. So that's mm-hmm. no, I loved that. And I, I knew, you know, there was something behind that. And it was very powerful. I wanted to ask you about it. Thank you. No, you're welcome. So um, what was the defining moment where you knew music was what you wanted to do with your life? Oh, my gosh. Well, the first one was probably when I was four or five, and I played my first recital in, uh, mm. you know, and I remember getting dressed in my purple velvet suit. <laughs> ah, I love it. That's amazing. Oh, gosh, you got to post a picture of that. I wish I had a picture of it. I mean, I was four. <laughs> right. It was like way back in the 1900s, you know, um, <laughs> probably a black and white photo. But uh, 1900, that's great. You're awesome. But, you know, I, I just remember getting up and being terrified and then starting to play and then everything disappeared. Like the fear all went away. And I was like, okay, mm. cool. So just being at the piano gave me this sense of just security, you know? Um, like mm. I actually control what's happening here, whereas the yeah. rest of the world was a big mystery, you know? So that was my first kind of knowing that this is what I was the The next, like, aha moment was um, when I was 12 or 13, a friend's mom was like, hey, we got tickets to go see the show. Can you come to a concert? And my mom was like, yeah, you can go. So we went to see this band called Little Feet at the Berkeley Community Theater. And mm-hmm. they were doing the Waiting for Columbus tour, which had, you know, um, Put On Your Dancing Shoes and uh, Dixie Chicken, like just some really great music. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking into the theater and I'd never been in like a huge group of people all partying and like listening to music. And it's like people were drinking and smoking weed. And like, I was like, yeah. oh, this is really dangerous. And I love it. <laughs> and, uh, the revel and in you. Right, right. And it's like somebody handed me a joint. I was like, what? So, I, you know, of course I did it. And then the band started and it was just like, oh, my God this is the coolest thing ever. This is what I want to do. I could see how the crowd was responding and reacting and being moved by the music. Mm-hmm. And then I could see how the band was responding to that. And, and it was just this kind of perpetual motion of energy and, and good vibes and feeling and love and, and expression. And I was like, wow. So it just, yeah, it really hit me right then. I'm like, this is what I need to do with my life. Mm, I like it. Yeah, just playing off that energy of the audience is intense. It's insane. It's awesome. Yeah, there was also the, you know, the whole uh, air of irresponsibility of rock and roll, (laughs) people partying and letting their hair down and no Mm -hmm. rules. And I was like, you know, I've been a rebel since day one, you know. (laughs) So that also was very enticing. So, 
you know, going back to you were four or five at this recital. Now, yeah. had, did you just get up and just start playing? Had you already been playing? Did you take lessons? Yeah, I was taking lessons. Um, I start, you know, I started playing when I was about when I was four. You know, um, okay. I used to, you know, my parents had a baby grand piano in the living room, and I used to sleep, you know, crawl and fall asleep under it while they'd play classical duets as a like. Wow. A so, oh my gosh. You know, as soon as I could reach the piano, I was messing around and, uh, you know, trying to make notes and make sounds. And uh, right. they, so they so they put me in music school, you know, before I even got into, like, grade school, really. Um, wow. So That's amazing. And you're an incredible entertainer, for sure. Oh, my gosh. I love watching, watching you oh, perform. So, now, you have done a lot. And I know everyone listening already knows that you are in Leonard Skinnerd. You have done things with George Clinton, Yellow Wolf, and I know more that I'm not even mentioning. But what were some moments that led to you becoming a keyboard player for Leonard Skinner? Um, well, see, I was uh, torn with Funkadelic and uh, with, the, with the original P, which is the original Parliament. Mm-hmm. And we were playing in upstate New York, I think, and this band opened up for us, and it was Shannon Kerfman who you may know from mm-hmm. Kid, Ro- Kid Rock's band. And her yeah. guitar player, Marlon Young, and I were sharing a balcony at the hotel. And uh, I think I bummed a cigarette from him. And he was like, hey, man, you're a great player. I'm like, yeah, you too. He's like, where do you live? I said, Detroit. He's like, no way, I live in Detroit. So we uh, connected up in Detroit. And um, fast forward a couple years, you know, he called me in on a couple sessions. We did a few records. Uh, a couple years later, I was working with the Music Mafia in Nashville and went back to Detroit, and this other artist, Ty Stone, knew me from Music Mafia, and he said, hey, Pete, could you help me put a band together for a showcase for, for Bob, for Kid Rock? Mm-hmm. So I called Marlon, Marlon, and I got a couple other people together, put the band together, did the showcase. Bob loved it, took Ty out on the road. We did that. I kind of had to split that for another gig, and Marlon ended up getting the gig with Kid Rock. So... When Kid Rock did All Summer Long with Leonard Skinner, they all, you know, got together. And then Billy Powell passed away. So Ricky Medlock asked Marlon if he knew of a keyboard player who could handle Billy's parts. So Marlon gave Ricky my number. So Ricky, uh, Marlon called me and he's like, hey, man, are you in Nashville? I said, yeah. He's like, I need you to learn Call Me the Breeze, Sweet Home Alabama, Freebird, and um, Give Me Three Steps, note for note. And I was like, well, what's up with that? He's like, uh... I got you an audition for Leonard Skinner. I was like, you kidding? Wow. Oh, my <laughs> like, gosh. Great. Like, when is it? Sunk. Oh, it jumped through the through my yeah. throat. I was like, That's when's the audition? Amazing. He's like, Saturday. I'm like, dude, it's Thursday. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, basically, I had two days to just learn all that stuff note for note. So. That's the long. Well. That's, that's the long, <laughs> the long and short of it, right? It's just a culmination of years of playing, and you know, it's the people mm-hmm. that you meet. It really is about you know those those relationships, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's that's a great story. Uh, tell me this: like, how long how long ago was that, and how long have you been in? Skin? That was um, in. Let's see. Billy passed away in January of '09. And they called me in March, I think, okay, 2009. Been with them a while, okay. Yeah, and, for thir- 13 years. Yeah, that's a long time. I think I passed the audition. I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. Oh, my gosh. How many times do you think you have played Sweet Home Alabama since then? Uh, oh. Well, it, <laughs> you can't it, count, oh, can you? Yeah, over a 1,000 for sure. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. So if you guys, if you and your band Leonard Skinner were just hanging out, okay, and you guys were just at a bar having fun, there was karaoke. What would be your guys' go-to karaoke song? You would all like sing together and jam out and have fun. <laughs> We'd go to the <laughs> hotel. <laughs> You wouldn't, like, get up and do some oh, karaoke? No. I think that would be so fun. No, no, People, no. people would love seeing that. I know, but it's just, yeah, I don't think that's... <laughs> that's more of a that's more of a spectator sport, right? <laughs> I don't know. I'd probably still do it. So, as you already know from what you have achieved in your life, there is power in never giving up. Absolutely. So, what I want to ask you is, what would you talk about a time in your life where you felt like giving up, you didn't, and here you are today. Oh, man, that's, you know, uh, let's be honest. That's kind of every day. Every day I have the opportunity to give up, right? Yeah. Every day I choose to persist. Mm, it's it's literally a conscious choice. Um, you know, when I was living in Detroit, it was, you know, 2007, 2008, and the economy had just taken a huge, it just tanked. And uh, I'd gone in on a building in in Plymouth we bought a church and turned it into a recording studio with a couple partners and we couldn't make a hundred dollars a day because nobody was you know doing anything so you know I was that was a pretty low point for me I didn't have a gig and I was trying to run a business and run a studio and stay in music and I was literally you know about to go to Taco Bell and get a job so I could you know help mm. kids um, mm -hmm. you know I found this out on Craigslist for a keyboard player needed and it was a salaried position and it was in Nashville and the audition was in Nashville and uh I basically spent my rent money to fly to Nashville to audition for this gig um wow. and that was a huge leap of faith I was like well this is either going to work or it's not so mm -hmm. you know I came down I got the gig it wasn't the Skinner gig it was another gig that I'm not going to mention but mm -hmm. it you know I, I there was definitely a moment of like is this really gonna work you know yeah. and uh, I just took that leap of faith and decided you know right then and there like look if I can't make it in Music City I'm not a musician so I came down wow. here got the gig and uh, that worked out great because that allowed me to actually move to Nashville and mm -hmm. be here when I got the call to do the Skinner gigs so you know it it really is about persistence um, I've got a theory it's called the cockroach theory okay. and uh, and what it is is just don't die and don't be a dick, and you will be successful <laughs> by default, right? I love it. Don't die, don't be a dick. Um, I remember that. You gave, I asked you to do life advice once on a video, and you said that, and I thought it was amazing. And I was yeah. like, okay, yeah, I can dig it. <laughs> right, well, look, the cockroach has been around for billions of years, and they say it's the only creature that's going to survive the impending nuclear holocaust. And that, <laughs> That's because it does exactly what it does and only does what it does and doesn't quit and doesn't give up. So I've mm -hmm. got a tattoo of a cockroach on my arm mm. to, to commemorate that. But, you know, really, the people that succeed and that, you know, have extended careers in the music business are people mm. that don't give up right. and that, you know, they're not dicks, really, because nobody wants to be around you if you're, That's right. still, you know. You got that right. And would you say, too, everything is a stepping stone? Like, this leads to this, leads to that. Right. Yeah, for sure. So, <clears throat> we were talking before, and when you were mentioning the rebel in you. <laughs> now, do you feel, did anything, being the rebel, and you were talking about the 
the drinking and the, you know, everything. The drugs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, right. yes, okay. So did anything happen in your life where it became too much? Too much? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Will yeah. you, will uh, you I, talk about, elaborate on that? Sure. I, I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm in recovery. I've been sober for 18, almost 19 years now. Um, you know, that first concert, like being 12 and getting handed a joint, I was like, yeah, this is it. I'm getting high and partying, you know, and like all of my heroes, like Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morris and Janis Joplin, like all of these people were notorious partiers, right? They did just did yeah. not any regard for rules or for any of that stuff. So right. I took that as, you know, that's the way to, to be if I want to be cool. Um, mm. You know, it eventually led me down the, a really dark road of mm. addiction and alcoholism and, you know, in jails and, you know, DUIs, wow. ridiculous, you know, just horrible um, experiences that I brought on to myself just by living the rock star life. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, I eventually hit my bottom and uh, had to get had to get help, you know, and thank God that I did, because now I've got a life that is totally unrecognizable to what it was. I mean, I never stopped playing, but the gigs got better. <laughs> the pay got yeah. better. I started feeling better. You know, um, I was able to be, you know, of service to other people and help other people along the path. So, mm -hmm. you know, recovery is a huge part of my story. You know, I know that it's um you know, an occupational hazard, but so, you know, what I didn't realize is like all my heroes were dead because they did things that killed them. <laughs> yes. Right. right. You know? Mm -hmm. Yep. You got it. And so I appreciate it, you sharing that because that's, this is a powerful message. Well, yeah. I mean, and again, that goes to the cockroach theory. Don't die. Don't be a dick. <laughs> How can you be successful if you die? You can't. You're right. right. You're so right. And you know, since we're on this subject, what, tell me, what would you tell a teenager today, you know, just getting into music and who maybe feel that same way you did um, when you were a teenager going down that path? What would you say to them? Oh, man, just to never give up and to, uh, you know, try to be self-aware, you know. Yes, that's huge. You know, it's like uh, our actions have consequences. Um, that's right. You, know, you got it. You know, everything that happened to me was a direct result of something I'd either done, said, not done, or not said. And, you know, taking responsibility for my life is a huge part of recovery. And that was, you know, the whole thing about getting high and, and being a partier and being a rebel is like, I don't have to take responsibility and I can blame everyone else. Mm. Well, what does that do? That removes me from any kind of powerful place, right? Mm -hmm. all, all of a sudden, I'm a victim, right? That's ah, good. So, you know, be powerful, be empowered, own, own your life, you know, right. be so present good. to the moment, yes. you know, and if you're an artist in a, in, in a musician or whatever, learn your craft, you know, practice, practice mm -hmm. and don't give up. And, uh, and if it's meant for you, the opportunities will present themselves, but you have to be present and aware to recognize those opportunities and to take advantage of them. That's right. That is that is so great and so powerful, Peter. Thank you for oh, no that's awesome. Um, so, lastly, before we before we end, <laughs> I really believe that gratitude is extremely important. It helps us, you know, not to fixate so much on our own problems. And when we're grateful for what we have, our attitude changes immensely. I believe. So, what are some aspects of your life? you're grateful for that help you to keep that 
positive, optimistic outlook? Oh, man, gratitude is huge for me. I, I send a gratitude list to about 14 different people every day. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, first of all, think about this. We bathe in drinking water. Like, there are third world countries that don't have drinking water. Right. I'm grateful for, you know, the, the smallest things, like being able to walk, you know, yes. like all the way up to, of course, you know, the amazing gig that I have, you know, my children, you know, my, my woman, all of this stuff mm -hmm. is, you know, somebody told me once, if you lost everything that you weren't grateful for today, Ooh. what would you have? And that kind of wow. scared the crap out of me. I was like, whoa, I better start, you know really appreciating the things and stuff in my life because mm -hmm. it could all go away tomorrow, you know? That's good. You're right. I know so I sound, just, I sound overzealous. I'm always like, yes, yes. But it's just, I don't know. I get, I get excited because I'm, I'm the same way. And I, I think just like that. So I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Peter, thank you so much for being here. Well, Danielle, you're welcome. And everybody out there, just keep doing what you're doing. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't be a dick and don't die. And you will be successful <laughs> by default. <laughs> and also, can you tell everyone where to find you online so they can check oh, yeah. you out and your music? Yeah. Um, you can go to Peter Keys at Twitter, Peter Keys at Instagram, uh, Peter Keys at Facebook, um, uh, uh, Spotify. I just released a new song um, a couple weeks ago, or actually about a month ago, Sunshine. And it's, you know, a positive message, rock and roll. We all need the sunshine. It was kind of an answer to just being locked down for 18 months with COVID. Oh, awesome. So, yeah, you know, um, check it we're out. Gonna play, we're going to play that on here, too, during oh, the segment, killer. too. Yeah, killer. perfect. You know what? Let's play your new single right now. Here it is, y'all. Peter Keys, Sunshine.
so much. And any last messages you want to say? Um, what would you say to your fans? What would I say to my fans? Um, you know, thank you. You know, thank thank every. I want to thank everybody for their support and you know supporting live music and supporting the arts and you know that's it, we, without you guys we can't do what we do. So gra gratitude, more gratitude. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being here. And everyone, that's a wrap. And always remember, it's a long way to the top. It's <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right.